Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Hope that you had a good life group this morning. Um, as many of you know, we're going through the, the seven realities for experiencing God. I'm teaching the students through that as well. And it has been a huge blessing in my life already, uh, going back through an old study that I did when I was a teenager and made a huge impact in my life. And it does a great job at, at tying directly in with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I want to say thank you to the, to the band. They did really awesome this morning, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. All week I've been working with Pastor Matt on getting a set list for today. And my only beef with Pastor Matt is that he was only able to take a handful of my songs. I gave him a list of like 20 songs and said, okay, do all 20, all right? Like, okay. And he said no. So that, that wasn't cool, Pastor Matt. But uh, they, they really did a great job. I love Another in the Fire. That's been a song that has impacted my life greatly over the past couple of years. So um, I wanted to say again, my name is Pastor Jonathan. I am the student pastor and pastor of Connections here at Heights. And if you are a guest with us, uh, please let us know. You can let us know by filling out the Connect card that is in the seat in front of you. Or alternatively, if you're watching online, uh, you can go to heightschurch.org connect or scan the QR code that is on the screen in front of you. And just that gives us an opportunity to know you were here and reach out to you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I got a really difficult passage uh, dealing with being dependent on God when we're hurting, right? So thank you, Pastor Lee, for giving this one to me. And uh, very, very difficult as I was reading through it. It's a passage that when I have had deep, deep, deep hurts in my life, it's a psalm that I've run to over and over and over again that has spoke wonderfully in my life. And I have quoted it to myself over and over and over again. There is great, great, great teachings that can be found through the psalms and in God's word. And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 42 this, uh, this morning. So if you have a phone app or a, a copy of the Bible in front of you, that's where we're going to be hanging out for a little bit wanted to read this quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became an apologist, wrote a bunch on, on what it looks like to be a Christian, and dealing with a, a specific topic that the church doesn't often do a great job at talking about, not, not necessarily heights, but the church in general, and that's dealing with the this, this struggles of, of mental pain and illness, and when, we, when we're overwhelmed, when we're crushed, when we're beaten down. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common, more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth hurts than to say my heart is broken. So I was thinking about it. If I hit my hand, everybody in the room knows that I'm in pain. Everybody in the whole neighborhood knows that I'm in pain. When I'm going through really difficult times, the dark night of the soul, crisis of belief, everything seems like it's just shaken up in my life, that's internal. No one knows. It doesn't have to come out. So, the church hasn't always done a great job of talking about this issue, but, but, right now is an important time to talk about it because at an all-time high is the suffering and pain and anguish that goes on internally in our minds, is it not? 
They say 2020 was a rough year. 2021, shaping up to be another doozy, right? We're looking at this, at this picture and saying, where do we go? How, how can we find refuge when things seem to be so broken? You know who's not afraid to talk about it? The word of God. If you've been doing the study with us in Exodus, you saw Pharaoh that in fear of losing control over his kingdom, ordered the Israelites to throw their baby boys into the Nile. You think there might have been a little bit of pain in some of those households? In Ecclesiastes, Solomon declares everything to be meaningless. And it doesn't use the same language that we use today, but do you think he might have been going through a little bit of depression? Jonah and Elijah, prophets, men of God, they would be able to, to speak a much better sermon than I ever could. Dealing with the deep pains and anguish became suicidal and begged God to take their life. But God's response was he wasn't done with them yet. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that wouldn't leave him alone. We talked about in a song, and Pastor Matt already talked about it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Even if not, he is still good. He is still worthy of my worship. I will not bow down to your idol. Do we believe that? The psalmist does. Psalm 42. Let's jump into it. Verse 1, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. You see, Paul, uh, David... Many artists, uh, many uh, authors say that he is uh, the author of this piece because we have the, uh, it attributed to the sons of Korah. They were the worship leaders that were with David uh, throughout much of David's reign. A lot of people say that this is likely when David was run out of his own kingdom, right, by his son. His son chases him out of the country. He's standing there looking toward the city of Jerusalem, looking toward the dwelling place of God and saying, hey, I can't worship anymore. So the shepherd who became a worship leader, who became a giant slayer, who became a soldier, who became an excellent soldier, who became a king, is sitting wrecked emotionally in tears. This is a heavy sermon. It's a heavy lesson. So I'm going I'm to pause for a second. 
Do we have any criers in the room? Like, no lying. No lying. Right? I see you, Pastor Lee, over there. Right? We have some criers in the room. Now, I've been working with students for years, like 12 of them. Right? More than 12 of them. I have been going to summer camps. I've been doing midwinter. I've been doing student ministry for a long time. Guess who cries and doesn't care? Students. Okay? So I know every type of crier that there is, and I promise you, if you press hard enough, every single one of you is going to fall into one of these categories. A little bit of audience participation. When you hear the type of crier you are, I want to see that hand. Don't be embarrassed. Looking at you, Gordon. Right? Don't be embarrassed. Okay, here we go. Number one, the beaver dam crier. Okay, the beaver dam crier is somebody that when the emotions get real, life gets really hard, they don't want anyone else to know they're emotional. The tears might not come, but their face gets really red, and it looks like their like, face is about to explode. You know what I'm talking about. They just like sit there. They make that face, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen these. The beaver dam criers, any of those in the room? It's very likely me, all right? I am the beaver dam crier. True story, okay? The next one, the hiccup crier. Okay, this is the one that they make a funky noise. When this person's crying, everybody knows that this person is crying. They typically start like at a really high octave. I can't even get there, right? But they start that way, and then it sounds like a, a baby, like an infant hiccuping. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, just like the, that's the best I got. Okay, the next one, the broken AC crier. That's what I'm talking about over there. They know who it is. These are the ones that the the noise might not come out. There's a lot of like open mouth things going on but their body cries, right? So they're the ones that just stand there. You know what I'm talking about. The broken AC criers, anybody in the room? Yeah, okay, thanks. And the last one is the ugly crier. And I don't really have to go into a lot of detail on that, but in the student ministry over the years, I have seen them all. Many of them are in the room. If you are a crier, It's likely that you fall into one of those categories. I would say all of us do. Sometimes our culture says it is not acceptable for you to cry. David, man, if David is comfortable letting it out when life is really, really difficult, it's okay to let it out. It's okay to let it out. Sometimes when we're broken, life gets hard, we cry because we are an emotional people, aren't we? When we're looking at that passage, I think it's important to point out that he is crying. And not only is he crying, but he's talking to his tears, and his tears are talking back. Now, I know if you've ever been through a difficult season in your life, you know exactly what it is that David is talking about. What the the sons of Korah are mentioning in this psalm, you know exactly what he is talking about. Because when life gets really heavy, you begin to talk to yourself and you say, whoa, McMeans, where's your God? Now, you teach lessons, Jonathan about God giving you the desires of your heart. 
how are you going to respond, Jonathan, if I take your desires and shatter them on the rock? How are you going to respond, Jonathan, if you believe that God is a God that works all things for good? How do you respond when you haven't seen good in what feels like an eternity, years? And you get to talk back. When life gets difficult, the struggle gets real, the finances crumble, the relationship falls apart, the sickness grows, the loved one is lost. How do we respond? Well, the psalmist talks back. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. You don't understand. Everything's broken. Hope in God. Where is your God? The psalmist doesn't have an answer for it. He doesn't say, oh, he's right here. He doesn't have a response to it. Have you ever been at the end of your rope when you're facing brokenness and you're looking out and your, your inner man says, where is your God? And the response that you shout back is, I don't know. The psalmist says, Hope in God anyway. He is the God of my salvation. He is my rock. He is my God. You have this picture of a guy that's longing to be in the presence of an assembly. You have a worship leader that's not able to get up and lead the congregation in worship. You have somebody that is greatly, greatly, greatly missing community because community is a picture of our relationship with God. Did any of you miss community in 2020? I sure did. A pastor removed from his congregation, hurting broken, cast out. God, I thought I was one of your chosen ones. I thought that you were in control. I thought you said that you would work good. I thought you said that you were a healer. I thought you were in control. Where are you? I don't know. He asks himself why. Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Hope in God. He continues. Verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This passage is really hard. One of the reasons it's so hard, he doesn't have the resolution yet. You have the cries of a broken man writing out a prayer and a plea to God saying, life is hard and there doesn't seem to be answers. Where is God? I don't know. I'm going to worship him anyways. In the storm, in the fire, in the pain, in the brokenness, when it's hard. There's a, a hint of hope at the end saying, I'm going to hope anyway. I'm going to worship anyway. Because God is the God of my salvation. One of the hardest things to, to look up in all of Scripture, there's this concept, deep calls to deep. There's a little bit of a, of a conflict here. There's a little bit of a, a debate about what it is that this actually means. One really common commentator says that it is a word in Hebrew that talks about the depths of the deepest sea. Down. He says deep calls to deep. It's a way of him saying, I am at the bottom. There is no more down. I'm there. And when he says deep calls out to deep, this is where the disagreement comes in. Some people say that's getting crushed over and over and over again while you're at the bottom. Deep over deep over deep over deep. But if you read this in light of Christ and in light of hope, there's something a little bit deeper that we can miss. When we're at the depth of the sea, when we're at the bottom, we're in need of a deep mercy. We're in need of a deep remedy. Deep issues call for deep remedies. When we're at our bottom, when we're at the very, very depth, we call out, God, where is your deep mercy? Have mercy on me when I'm broken. I'm in turmoil. I'm in pain, shattered on the rock. There's this passage that hits so hard. You see, the psalmist had to wait for an answer. And when the psalm ends, he hasn't got it yet. There's not an answer yet. Have you ever gone through a storm in your personal life, a metaphorical storm where things seemed to be at the bottom? And you said, God, where are you? 
and you wait for the Lord, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. When we see this picture, there is a, a difficulty in our culture to wait on the Lord through hard times. We're quick to ask, where are you, God? You blessed me yesterday, where's today's? Wait on the Lord. Find rest. Deep calls to deep. Deep need needs a deep remedy. One of my favorite pastors of all time, he has passed away now. He was one of my college pastors when I was at Texas Tech. His name was John Randalls. John Randalls, an amazing man of God, talked about discipleship a lot. He said that there's a passage that's often used in Christian circles that says, we are the fragrance of what? Of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. And he used an example of that's a pressure verse. When we're put under pressure, what comes out of you? So many times, we're not the fragrance of Christ. When we're in the good, sure. It's easy to talk about being the fragrance of Christ. But what about when we're at the depth? If I got up here and I squeezed a lemon, the smell, the juice, you would say that's a lemon. If I got an orange and I came up here and I squeezed it, that's an orange. What about a believer, a follower of Christ? When the storm is raging, when you are in the dark night of the soul, when you don't have the answers, when you're squeezed, what comes out? We are the fragrance of Christ in the good days and the bad days. When the world sees the pressure on you, what comes out? There's this concept in scripture and in this passage even, he says that you are my hope. Now hope, when you look up a definition is this, an optimistic state of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes. Well, that's a nice definition, but it doesn't go far enough, does it? It sells short for the Christian. Hope is competent expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. It is what keeps our faith alive regardless of the worldly outcome. It is the countercultural assurance that God will deliver his chosen in his time and in his way. I'm going to say that again. He will deliver his chosen in his time and in his way. You see, there's this picture of hope. I was struggling with this passage this week. I was wrestling with it. There's no hope. It ends in dismal. And I talked to pastor this week, actually yesterday, in the sound booth for... 101 Dalmatians, and when I was talking with Pastor Lee in the sound booth, I said, I don't know. I'm really struggling. And he said, that's the point. 
Our life is a struggle. It's a dash. It's a season. But in Christ, we have hope. Even if the cancer isn't cured, it's temporary. Even if the sickness grows, it's temporary. Even if your finances lie in ruin, it's temporary. Even if your business fails, it's temporary. Your closest relationship breaks apart, it's temporary. You lose your best friend, temporary. We go through pain. As a church, listen, if your theology doesn't answer the question of pain, you're doing it wrong. You don't have adequate answers. If you have the problem of pain, you're doing it wrong. It's throughout Scripture. You see people that are hurting and in need of a Savior. Deep calls to deep. When you're under pressure, what comes out? The psalmist gives us a few things to do. I think we would be wise to follow this. The first thing he does is he asks why. To himself. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. The next thing he does is he asks why of God. God, why have you left me? Where are you? It's really easy in our spiritual circles. Oh man, seminary, let me tell you about it. We have all the answers, I'm telling you right now. If somebody came up to me and said, I feel like God's abandoned me, then it's really, really easy to say, well, actually, God doesn't abandon those who he loves. He works all things for good of those that are called according to his purpose. He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, when you're on the rocks, that might be true, but it's not helpful in the season. He's not trying to get into a theology debate. He's talking to himself and he's pleading with God. He's saying, God, I don't know where you are. Show me your face again. Let me worship again. He asks why. The second thing he does, he remembers he remembers times when God was right there with him. He remembers when God was able to carry him through difficulties. He remembers going before the congregation, leading worship. He remembers the God of his salvation. If you're going through the struggle, remember what God has done for you in the past. Number three. He preaches truth of God to himself. In verses 8 and 9, he says that God's love is overwhelming to him. There is a God that loves unconditionally. That is the God that is with me. He's with me in the fire. He's with me at the depths. I don't see him. I don't know that he's there. He's not answering me, but I know that he's there. He talks about the God of his salvation. Keep in mind, he doesn't have the answer yet. But he knows 
that his God is a saving God. In his brokenness, in his pain, in his anguish, when his enemies taunt him, when his tears taunt him, where is your God? His answer is, the God of my salvation is worthy to be praised even when it hurts. I can be dependent on Yahweh even when it hurts. Even in the pain. Why doesn't God deliver me from the furnace? If you are in Christ, he already did. Reminds me of a song. You probably have heard it before. I'm not going to sing it. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. When you are in the pit, God's better than the pit. When you're at the bottom, he's right there with you. When you're in the furnace, he's there. My friends, if you are not in Christ, you are in scary territory. When trials come, when suffering comes, when you're in the pit, your relationship with God is all you have. If you don't have a relationship with God, it's my prayer that you would find him. He's calling to you today, and we would love to talk about what it looks like to begin that relationship. Pray with me. I want to thank you for watching today's message. I hope that you found it encouraging and challenging to your faith. At Heights, our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And right now, I want to encourage you, if you have never given your life over to Jesus Christ, placed your faith and trust in Him then the Bible calls you to do that. And today, right where you are, you can place your faith in Christ and become a new believer in Jesus. You know, that's such an important decision that every person has to make. You know, one day you are going to stand before God and give an account of your life, to give an account of what you did with Jesus Christ in your life. And so I want to encourage you, just as Hebrews 4.12 says that today is the day of salvation, just right where you are, give your life to Jesus Christ. And the way that you can do that is through prayer. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you're interested today in starting a relationship with Jesus, having your sin forgiven, finding forgiveness of your sin and new life with Christ that lasts for all of eternity, I wanna encourage you to pray along with me. Let's pray together. Dear God, Today, I need Jesus as my Savior. I place my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. Thank you for saving me. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to be able to connect with you. If you'd like to go to heightschurch.org connect, let us know that you prayed. Let us know how we can pray for you. But the important step that you need to take is to let somebody know 
Today, I started a new relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to come alongside of you and encourage you in that new direction in your life. We'd love to have you in person if you're able to make it at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you have any other needs, contact us at heightschurch.org connect. We'll be back in touch with you. Thank you for watching today's message, and I hope you have a great week.